You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. All right, let's jump into this. If you could stand for the, uh, the reading of, of, of God's Word, we believe that the Bible is authoritative, that it is the Word of God, and uh, when we read from these pages, uh, we believe as a church, I feel this so deeply that what you hear are the very word, the, the same voice that spoke the galaxies into existence, that, that this is God's word. And so we're going to start with verse 1 of Matthew chapter 5. The words will be on the screen. This is the word of the Lord. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and, went, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You may be seated. So I was thinking about this as I was preparing my sermon this week, and here's the thought that I had as I was thinking about this. Have you ever stopped and, and, and thought about uh, just uh, with all your time that you may have spent in just thinking about Jesus and reading about Jesus in any one of the four Gospels in your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, have you ever stopped to think about this reality, this fact, that Nowhere in the Gospels, in the life of Jesus, are we given any indication that he was so overwhelmed, filled with so much uh, angst, as he was the moments that he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane shortly before he was betrayed and crucified. Have you ever thought about that? Like, there was something different about Gethsemane that, that changed that was unlike any other experience that Jesus had through, through his 30-plus years of life leading up to that moment. We read in Luke chapter 22 that he came out and he went, and he was, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, so he would pray in, uh, in the Mount of Olives, uh, in this area, he would pray apparently frequently, this was a place that he liked to pray, and when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you were willing, remove this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done." And there appeared to him 
an angel from heaven strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Not even the angel that appeared to him to comfort him eased his, his, the anxiety and the angst that he was experiencing in that moment as he prayed in Gethsemane. I was thinking about that this week. One of, my, uh, one of the guys that I, that, that I love to listen to is a guy by the name of C.J. Mahaney, and I've, used, I've quoted from him several times before, but, but what he said about that moment with Jesus in Gethsemane in a little book that he wrote titled Christ Our Mediator, uh, I, I just can't say it any better than he said it. And he said that in that moment, the full fierceness of God's holy wrath poured out all against all of sin is found in this cup that Jesus asked to be passed from him. It's intended for all of sinful humanity to drink. It's your cup and it's mine. He says, Fire in that cup is filled fire and sulfur and scorching wind like some volcanic firestorm, like the fury of Mount St. Helens eruption concentrated within a coffee mug. And when Jesus entered into that garden, he found hell rather than heaven opened up before him. And so here's what I want to say about this fifth beatitude that we're just diving deep into this week. And that is this, you cannot understand the type of mercy Jesus is referring to when he said in his fifth beatitude, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. You cannot understand what he is saying there unless you appreciate the mercy that you and I experienced as a result of Jesus entering into Gethsemane and deciding to drink the cup, the cup of God's wrath in your place and in my place. We've got to be able to wrap our minds around this mercy that if you're a Christian, that you received and that I received. You've got to understand the significance of of what the Bible says about, about our desperate situation. I'm talking about, when I say our, I mean humanity, all of humanity. When we read words that say this, like in Romans chapter 3, let's read this together, ready? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Like, like when we hear these words, why is it that we, we don't tremble at, at these words? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it's not talking about creation, it's not talking about your cat your dog. It's not talking about the animals you might see at the zoo. It's not talking about the ocean. It's not talking about the stars or the galaxies. It's talking about humanity, that we are the only creature on, in all of God's creation that are guilty of sinning and, and that we fall short of the glory of God. We are you know, each one of us is born in sin. Each one of us was conceived in sin. Sin is all that we know. Sin is a part of our, uh, of our unholy nature. As one person described it, he said this, we do not know how much we have sinned in the same way a fish does not know how wet it is. 
And, and I just, we just need to go here at the beginning of the sermon just so that we can, we, we can understand why this mercy is so significant that Jesus is talking about here in his fifth beatitude. Like the Bible says that, that the heart of man is, is one that drinks injustice like water. That's Job chapter 15. Like sin is not unlike a terminal disease which finds its way into the womb of every woman. The Apostle Paul um, said this, he said, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, that was us. Later on in Romans 5, it says that we're all like born as enemies of God. Like unless we can appreciate that and wrap our minds around that, we'll never be able to fully appreciate the mercy of God. Like, all of creation obeys the word of God. Now, God commanded the planets to stay in orbit. And what do they do? They obey. He places the ocean and commands it, to, you know, thus far and no further, and the ocean and the rivers obey. He decks the stars in the universe to serve their purpose to shine, and they shine. Yet there is one creature who God calls the only creature who bears his image, and he, and he beckons them to come, and we are the only creature that says no. And yet it is us, it is, it's mankind that God pursues. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, they didn't come looking for God. We're told that they hid. That's the story of humanity. They hid, and God came looking for them. He found them. That's your story. That's my story. God chases after sinners. Creatures who say, no, I don't want you. I don't want to follow you. I don't want to come near you. I, don't, I do not want anything to do with you unless it's on my terms. And it's this God who pursues us. And Jesus said in this fifth beatitude, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. What is he talking about there? I mean, the only appropriate response of a perfect God to a creature who says no is judgment. It's hell. It's that cup that Jesus drank in your place and my place. We deserve to drink that cup, that metaphorical cup of God's wrath. And this is what it says in the Bible, in, in, in 2 Corinthians, it says this, I think I, I guess. Let's, let's read this together. This is good news, ready? For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin when he didn't even know sin. He was perfectly innocent, became sin in our place, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. And, and so Jesus said, blessed, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And so I just want to unpack that to help us wrap our minds around it, to appreciate it, and to understand exactly what it is Jesus was communicating here. It was so important for us in the church. I, I, I mentioned this a couple of times. I'll mention it again. Somebody asked me, when are we going to see signs and wonders? When are we going to experience the kind of things that we saw, like that we see in Acts chapter 2? 
And my answer is simply this. I don't think we'll see that kind of, or we'll experience that kind of thing that we see and read about in Acts chapter 2 regarding the early church until the church finds her center again, which is the Sermon on the Mount. And what draws us to the center is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that it doesn't matter what your political affiliation is, that's not your identity. Your identity is not wrapped in, your, you know, in being Democrat, it's not wrapped up in being Republican, it's not wrapped up in, in, in any of those things. Your identity, if you're a Christian, is wrapped up in this reality, and this reality is that you are a Christian. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. You've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. You were covered under his blood. Your colors are the same. doesn't matter your, what your ethnicity is. It is red, G, uh, the blood of Jesus. And your tribe is not Wyoming. <laughs> it's not Colorado. It's, it, it's, it's not uh, American. Your tribe is the tribe that Jesus belongs to. And the tribe that he belongs to is the tribe of Judah. That's our tribe. We belong to a kingdom that is not on this earth yet. Until the church wraps her mind around it, until we wrap our minds around that and we feel that, not just say that we believe it, but feel it, and it affects the way we live our lives, then, then, then we will never be the hope of the nations that, that God has called us to be. That is, that we're the mouthpiece of, of God Almighty pointing people to where they can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And so there are two things that I just want to unpack here. And, and, and the first is that the, that the Christian has received great mercy. We have received great mercy. It's, it's the kind of mercy that just, I, every time I, I, I think of like what Jesus is talking about here, every time I think of it, I'm reminded of my experience when we visited Niagara Falls. I've shared this story in the past, you know. How, I, I, just curious, how many of you have visited Niagara Falls? Wow, okay. Last time I asked, it was like three people. So how many of you have been on Maid of the Mist? Right? What do they give you when you get on the Maid of the Mist? Do they still do it? I don't know if COVID affected it or not. Uh, a, a, a rain jacket or a poncho. For those of you who have been on the Maid of the Mist, does it help? No. <laughs> No, it doesn't. They take you as close to the falls as, uh, as safely as possible, and what happens? Well, you're, 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 you not only experience the, the falls, you, you get drenched by the falls, right? Yeah, some of you know this. Well, when I think of the mercy of God and what we've experienced, it is so significant that it is unending like those falls. It is so powerful that it roars like those falls. The mercy of God that has overcome sinners like you and like me. We've received great mercy. And, and, and that's part of what Jesus is getting at here. Like, so we're in this sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. And, and if, you're, if you're new here, I, I, I think I can help you catch up. Uh, so the first three Beatitudes are, are Beatitudes of, uh, of need. Beatitude just means blessing. And uh, the way the word blessed here could be translated, it could be translated as it is here, or it could be translated joy, contentment, satisfaction. 
It is, is what you experience when the face of God smiles upon you, okay? And so the first three Beatitudes uh, are Beatitudes of need, like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What he's, what he's talking about there is that you, you, you cannot receive the gift of salvation that God offers unless you arrive at the cross of Jesus Christ with empty hands, realizing I bring nothing of my own righteousness to the cross of Jesus. I come with, open, with empty hands because I have nothing to bring. I need a righteousness I cannot generate on my own. I need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so that's the poor in spirit. And blessed are those who mourn. Well, what are they mourning over? They're mourning over their sin. Until you emotionally are able to connect intellectually with the reality that we are sinners in need of the grace and mercy of God, you will never arrive at the foot of the cross in a way that will lead to salvation. You've, the, only, the Christian, the true Christian, is the person who, who arrives at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ by faith, realizing I bring nothing of my own righteousness, and I grieve over that. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And in the third one, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What's that talking about? A, you, you come to the cross humble, willing to just bow to the will of God. Uh, you're beside yourself. Uh, you realize it's no longer my, my talents, my ability, my thoughts that can get me what I need. It's simply what God has offered at the cross. That's what I need. Those are beatitudes of need. And then last week, we looked at the, the, the fourth beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be what? Satisfied. Well, how? They're satisfied when they come to the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. They're satisfied when they discover that that's the, right, that's the righteousness I need. That's how I am forgiven of my sins, but it doesn't stop there. That thirst and hunger for righteousness continues as you continue to find your satisfaction in Jesus Christ and Him alone. That is the mark of the true Christian, brothers and sisters and friends. And so, what is the result? Now, now we're at the fifth beatitude. What is the result? Beatitudes of action. What, is it, what, what does it look like after I, I arrive at the foot of the cross? What does that look like when I discover that all of my, 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 my satisfaction can be met in Jesus Christ? Well, it looks like the fifth beatitude. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. That's what it looks like. When Jesus, Jesus satisfies the poor in spirit, they can respond to a world under the curse of sin with a, a similar mercy that they experience through Jesus. And so, um, let's go to the, the bullet points. Uh, one, two, and three. I think. Can we go back? Oh, no. Okay, no, Ryan. I missed that quote. Okay, go to this quote. Thank you. Sorry. Uh, before I get there, this is a really good quote that I read uh, this week. The person who knows his spiritual bankruptcy grieves over his pitiful condition, submits his will to God's will in all things, and longs for godly righteousness, shows mercy to the poor and needy because he knows himself to be poor and needy. That's the point here. And now, 
Um, so, so Jesus satisfies the poor in spirit. And when he does that, they can respond to a world under the curse of sin with the same mercy that they experienced. When Jesus comforts those who mourn over their sin, they are then motivated to live lives that reflect the character of Jesus. And then thirdly, when Jesus blesses the meek who understand that, it is, that, that he is their only cure, they have a peace with God that they, are, that they want the world to know. That's the result. So that's the beatitude of, uh, uh, of action. So you have beatitudes of need and beatitude of actions. And this is the first one. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And so this word is really interesting. This, and I won't get into all the details of the Greek word, but this Greek word uh, can mean, for mercy can mean pity, it can mean compassion. And, and, and you know, it's used multiple times throughout the New Testament. There's a Hebrew equivalent of this word that's used in the Old Testament. We don't have time to unpack all of that. I just want to uh, highlight two passages for you. And the first is in, is in Ephesians chapter 2. The first five verses is where we see this word used that Jesus is talking about here, this word for mercy. And it's, it's pretty you know, simple what it says, and you don't have to read with me, but I just want you to see this. You are, this is who we were. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Um, by the word, by the way, the word dead here, uh, you might, it might sound familiar to you. The Greek word is nekros. It means dead. <laughs> it means corpse. You know what he's talking about here? We're dead. We were dead. How dead is dead, by the way? Pretty dead, right? Anybody ever see roadkill on the side of the road, get up and say, brush itself off and say, I'm alive? No. Why? Because it's dead. And it smells like death. That's what we were. We were dead spiritually. We smelled like death spiritually in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world. It gets worse. Following the prince of the power of the air. Who's that guy? The devil. His philosophy, his worldview. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. I mean, it's pretty bad what is described here of us. Carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But this is where it gets good. But God, being rich in what? Mercy. It's the same word that Jesus uses in the fifth beatitude, mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, what did he do? He made us alive together in Christ Jesus. You, the only hope for those who are spiritually dead is a God who raises the, the dead and makes them alive. That's the point here. This is not popular. It's not popular in a lot of churches. Because, you know, if you're like me, you, you want to feel good about life. And you read a passage like this, it doesn't feel so good when you read the first three verses, right? There is nothing in me or about me that warranted God to save me. You know why? Because I was dead and I was running from him like a thief runs from a cop. And he pursued me. And why did he pursue me? because of the great love with which he has for me and, and for you. And when he found you, if you're a Christian in this room, when he found me, he made you alive. Did you have anything to do with that? Nope. 
just as much as a dead corpse has nothing to do with being raised from the grave. And he made us alive in Christ. And you know what happened when, 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 when you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Not only were you made alive in him, but God gave you a new nature. He gave you the ability to love him and, and to follow him. And, and the reason, the reason for that is all mercy. What, what's mercy? What's the definition of mercy? Mercy is when somebody refrains to give you what you deserve. And what did I deserve? What did you deserve? Wrath. What did God give us? Love. Why did he do it? Because. <laughs> did, did, I, did I earn it? Did I bring anything to, to his table to, for him to say, you know what, on second thought, you deserve mercy today. No, absolutely not. He gave it to me. Why? Because of his love. Well, why did he love me? Why did he love you? Because. <laughs> That's it. That's the, only, that's, a, that's the answer that we're given in the Bible. And it's the same word for mercy Jesus uses here in the fifth beatitude, which leads to, this, the, to my, the next point, and that is the Christian is called to give mercy, to share mercy. If you've experienced great mercy, the expectation of God is that you share that mercy. So, this leads me to the story Jesus told in Matthew chapter 18. If you have a Bible, or if you're using your digital device, you can turn there. The words will not be on the screen. But Peter came up to, to Jesus, and he said, you know, uh, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother who sinned against me? Seventy times? Like, how many times? Like, how many times do I need to forgive my brother so that I remain a good Christian. Like, where's the threshold? Where's the line? What's the point where, I don't, where I'm no longer obligated to forgive my brother? Have you ever asked that question? Like, how much is enough? So Peter asked this question, and so Jesus you know, told a story. And uh, he begins the story with, with these words, Therefore, uh, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts. Uh, with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, just to put that in perspective, 10,000 talents would be the equivalent of, you pick a number that would be unpayable. So we'll say like $2 billion. Okay? Unpayable. Just, you're not going to be able to do it. So this person owed a, a debt that he could not pay. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him his debt. That word pity is uh, the, the root uh, Greek word for that word pity is the same word that Jesus, uh, is from the same word Jesus uses for mercy in his fifth beatitude. So the, 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 this, this person who was owed a great debt, he had mercy on this person who owed him so much money that he couldn't even pay it. I mean, the guy said, you know, I'll pay whatever, whatever it takes. I'll pay, I'll pay off the debt. I'll do, I'll do whatever. Just don't sell me into slavery. Don't sell my wife. And, and, and the, the, the person that he owed a debt to in his mind thought, yeah, right, there's no way you could possibly pay this back. But I'll tell you what. 
I'm forgiving your debt. Now, like, wouldn't that be pretty awesome? Like, I don't know how many of you have a debt in this room, but if somebody just came up to you and said, you know what? Debt canceled. Completely. Fully. That would be pretty amazing. If you owe $2 billion and somebody did that, uh, you would be thankful, I would hope, right? I would be thankful. So, um, so he's forgiven this debt, and, and, and Jesus, the, the whole point that Jesus is making here is that we were that person who owed that great debt. Peter, how many times should you forgive the person who sinned against you? Well, let me tell you a story. The, the person in the story is a person who owed $2 billion. You're that person. And the person who forgave you of your debt is God. And he continues the story, but, but said, that's the great debt that you owe. And then for us who are reading the story, we, you ought to be thinking and asking yourself, well, so what does that debt look like? Like, what, what does payment for that debt look like if, if I don't receive the offer of that debt being canceled? Well, we're, we're given a picture of what that debt looks like or what the, the consequences of paying that debt looks like in Revelation chapter 20. I saw a great white throne. It's describing the final judgment. And him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the book according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone, listen, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That is the only way the only other option to pay off the debt, and that's hell. Like, you, like my dead mentor, Jonathan Edwards, said, you know, if you have a hard time with the concept of hell, then you do not properly understand the significance and magnitude of your own sin and the holiness of God. God is perfectly just. He's also perfectly loving, and he's perfectly merciful. He's perfect in every way. You've heard, for those of you who've been here, you, you've heard me say this multiple times. God does not need to improve upon himself. Otherwise, he would not be God. He does not need to get better at loving. He doesn't need to get better at showing mercy or, 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 or showing grace. He doesn't need to get better at being good. The only creature uh, on planet Earth that needs to get better at doing those things is us, <laughs> We need to get better at that. And so for God to be perfectly just, he needs to execute his justice on those who, 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 who've sinned, who've broken his, his, his law, the law of the universe. And, it, and we're, we're guilty of cosmic treason. There's a lot that I can go, say about this, and I need to stop there just because we're already just about out of time. But, but that's the debt. And Peter's like, well, how many times should I forgive the person who sinned against me? Well, let me tell you a story, Peter. And he tells him the story. And he continues in the story. Reminds me of something C.H. Spurgeon said. I love this quote. If any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are worse than he thinks you to be. <laughs> right? It's essentially what 
Jesus was telling Peter. And, and, and he goes on in the story. He said, but when that same servant went out, when he was released and free from his debt, what did he do? He found the first person that owed him some money. And we're told how much money he owed him. Uh, and it wasn't much. It would probably be the equivalent of maybe $4,000. So this guy who was forgiven like two point whatever billion dollars or whatever it was, some astronomical amount of money, was forgiven this debt, went out, as soon as his debt was, for, you know, he was released from his debt, and he went out and found a person that owed him money because he wanted to make some money, and that person owed him $4,000, and what did he do? He said, you know what? I've been forgiven. I'm forgiving you, man. Your debt's canceled. Did he do that? No. He, he, he seized him, and he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe me. And his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. Which was reasonable. Like this, this person who owed him $4,000, he could pay him. He could find a job somewhere, work at McDonald's, whatever, you know, Work through the summer, get your, and then pay him off. Like he, his ability, this person who owed $4,000, his ability to pay off his debt was reasonable. He said, no, throwing you in prison until you pay the debt. Which, like, how do you pay a debt when you're in prison? Right? So there was no mercy demonstrated by this servant who was forgiven this huge debt. So this is, this is where it gets scary, friends. Jesus continues, this, continues with the parable. He says, when his fellow servants saw that it, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported it to their master, all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him, the guy who was forgiven like a billion dollars or whatever, and he said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me and should not have you had mercy, there's that word again, had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Now, if Jesus stopped in verse 34, we'd think, that's a nice story, we should apply it to our lives, we should forgive others, but he didn't. Jesus continued in verse 35. This is the scary part. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now there's crickets. Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath so that you wouldn't have to. What grudge are you holding against that person who has sinned against you? And does it really compare to the great debt that has been canceled on your behalf? The cup that Jesus drank on your behalf? To to, to take upon the debt of God's wrath that we owed, that we couldn't pay? Jesus said, if you're not willing to forgive, my Father will do the same to you. 
Why would he say that? Like, what is he saying there? This is, this is the end of my sermon, I promise. Like, what, what, is he, what is he communicating here? Is he saying, well, if you don't forgive, you lose your salvation? Is that what he's saying? I don't think so. It, it, it does sound that way. But is he saying that? The key to the answer to that question is in the fifth beatitude. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. There is an unbreakable connection between God's forgiveness of our sin and our willingness to forgive others. I'll say it another way. Mercy begets mercy. I'm not saying we're perfect at it. I'm just saying that if you've experienced the kind of mercy that I spent half the sermon talking about, it will change you. If you arrived at the foot of the cross, poor in spirit, I had nothing to bring but empty hands, and I'm grieving over my sin, and I'm willing to submit to your will, God, because I, I know I can't do anything to help myself, and I'm going to find my satisfaction and my righteousness in the only place that I can find it, and that is Jesus Christ who died on the, on the cross in my place. You will be a person who is able to exercise mercy on those who do not deserve it. I, mean, I can go on and on and on. The, the fruits of the Spirit, in Galatians, and other places in the Bible. When you come to faith in Christ, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, when you place your faith and trust in him, something happens in you. And the Bible says that what has happened in you is that you went from being dead to being alive. You went from being an old creature to being a new creation. You are his child now. And his character and all that, 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 that is true of God begins to shape you and begins to transform you. And as you follow Jesus, you might not nail down mercy, but as you follow Jesus, you'll get better at showing it. A forgiving, a forgiving spirit is part of the new nature that the Christian has received when God made him alive in Christ. If you're a Christian, you are able to show mercy. And, um, and the point that Jesus is making in this parable is if, if you are unwilling to show mercy, remember, mercy is refraining to give a person what they deserve, then you may never even have belonged to him. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And it's not just talking about sin. It's talking about you see the world differently than the way you saw the world before you came to faith and, Christ, and trust in Christ. You see it differently. You see a world that's cursed. You turn on the news if you still watch it. <laughs> um, and you're like, yep, that's, that's why this said politician is saying what he or she is saying because they are, they are dead. <laughs> Spiritually, the reason why the world behaves the way that it behaves is because it is, it is night of the living dead. <laughs> there are corpses that are walking spiritually, and they need a resurrection that only Jesus can make possible. You see the world differently. And that is the hope of Cheyenne, and that is the hope of Wyoming, and the hope of our nation. It's Jesus Christ. That's why I keep hammering that, and that's why I keep on saying that, that politics... Legislation will not change this nation. 
The only hope for hearts to be transformed is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, we are called to be his mouthpiece. We're called to be his hands, to be his feet. And if we are ever going to see the kind of church that we read about in the book of Acts, we're called to the center. Not just, say that, not just saying that we believe the Sermon on the Mount, but that we put it in, into practice. The Christian is a person who's experienced great mercy, and we're called to share it. And if you're not a Christian here, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, my encouragement to you is that's the first step. Come to the cross of Christ. You know, come to Jesus with your empty hands and your heart that grieves over your own sin and the mess that you find yourself in. Submit yourself to the will of God. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's salvation found in no one else but the name of Jesus. And so that would be my plea to you. The way, and I'd encourage you to read the rest of Ephesians chapter 2. The way the Ephesians chapter 2 you know, ends is that it's by grace that you're saved through faith, not of anything that you've done of your own volition, your own will. It's, it's simply by grace that you've been saved. And then in verse 10 of, of Ephesians chapter 2, it says that now you are his workmanship. You are created for good works. You are sent out to be agents of his mercy as new creatures. That's true of every single Christian in this room. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for mercy. We are recipients of great mercy. God, may the world know us as, as agents of the mercy of the living God who speak on his behalf, who share his terms of peace that can only be found and met in Jesus. God, we want to be that people. Thank you for the mercy that you've lavished on us, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.